Welcome to the MD Show. You are in the zone with Bianca Banks and Jasmine Shannon. Two women touching on current and cultural events, discussing generational perspectives. We are mother and daughter, women of color on our grind. Buckle up your seatbelts and welcome to the, the MD Show. Welcome to the MD Show once again here on Dash Radio, Dash Talk X. I am Bianca Banks. And I am Jasmine Shaman. Happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday. A new week. How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. Um, we're, you know, back into this lockdown. So I feel like we're pros now. So just trying to stay positive and, you know, figure out how we're going to get through this time. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I was like, you know, okay, I have it all planned. Now I'm going to. You know, like before I was focused on a lot of outside stuff, but now I'm going to like, like focus on like color coding my closet and like, yes. you know what I mean? And like getting rid of clothes I don't need. And like, like somebody was saying something about, I was trying to clean out my mom's garage. Uh-oh. Well, I think my mom, and she was like, like there was like a beach umbrella and she's like, don't you need a beach umbrella? I'm like, no. no. That, Cause there's that, there's that rule. It's like 60. Not, I don't know if it's 90, 60, 30. Like if you haven't, you, if you're not going to use it in 30 days, if you haven't used it in 60 days, mm. but you know, if you've had it for 90 days, something like that. Okay. That's a good rule. I I do, I do it the mate, the Marie Con, Condren way, which is, I think that that's what her name is, but oh, it's people she, that have place. Pardon? They have that place, the Condren. Yes, I, I didn't mean that place. I meant there's a lady on um, Netflix. I forget what her name is, but she's like a famous organizer, and she does it emotionally. So she says to pick up and physically touch the clothes, and you know if you don't if you don't have any feeling towards it, then just get, throw it away. So she no, does- I saw that. Mm-hmm. I saw that, and she she first starts by which I kind of like. She's like, okay, like if you're gonna empty your closet, take everything out the closet and put mm-hmm. it on the bed, mm-hmm. and go from there. Yes, even like drawers, like empty the entire drawer, and then go back rebuilding the drawer. You know. Yeah, I, I do that now, and it definitely helps me. I know. I'm I through. It's like you're just like, okay, well, this fits, so I'll keep it. But it's you know, making more space is good. So. Yeah, I'm so impressed too. Like you have like your little containers for your strawberries, your little containers for your apple. That makes me so happy. <laughs> yeah, everyone watched the home edit. It changed my life. Yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah, so I'm doing good. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling like since we're going back towards, you know, limited uh, life, that it's good. It's a good time to focus on um, another uh, in a sense, source of rebirth. Yes. And um, going into our first topic today. Oh, we're going right on in? Okay. We got to go in. We got to go in because I'm really I excited. I going to talk forever about that. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> I'm really excited. I'm really excited about this topic because last week we talked about the Mike Tyson fight and it was epic. And Everyone knows about the um, infamous knockout um, by Logan Paul to Nate Robinson, which was 
a, a trend and probably still is on Twitter. Um, but, you know, since that has occurred, it has officially been announced that Floyd Mayweather is going to fight Logan Paul. On Sunday, according to People Magazine, the professional boxer, and he's 43, you guys, announced that he is scheduled to fight the YouTube star, and it's also an exhibition match on February 20th, and that there will be more details coming up. Now, these exhibition matches are kind of been funny for me, because what does that really mean? I mean, Floyd, Floyd is fighting, Floyd is an undefeated champ, and then you're fighting this YouTube star who um, knocked, you know, Nate Robinson out, I think, in a minute and 27 seconds. But I'm like, if I was Logan, I would be terrified. (laughs) Okay, so just to be clear, because I just kind of connected the dots. Mm -hmm. So there's Jake Paul. Yes. And then there's Logan Paul. Yes. And they're brothers. Mm -hmm. And so was Logan a fighter, like... I don't think he was a fighter. I think he just started fighting for fun. And then he has money and, you know, um, comes from money and may, has made more money through YouTube. So I think it's just one of those things. He's like, well, I'm going to be a boxer now. And, you know, now he's tackling that. Mm-hmm. And um, It says here that Paul has only ever competed in one professional boxing match in 2019 and he lost to another YouTuber, um, KSI. It was the pair's second time facing off as they fought in an amateur match in 2018, which ended the draw. So he's only fought once. And then before he had the fight with Nate Robinson. And I don't really know if I can give him props because Nate didn't even seem like he knew what he was doing at all. It looks like he was like, it looked like he got, like knocked out within the first three seconds and then tried to like push it through mom. Don't you feel the same way? I'm like, Nate was, I don't know what he was doing. He was acting like a bull or something, just ramming. You can't know. I was like, um, I don't really know. (laughs) What mom? I'm, I'm just, you know, Floyd, even though he's retired, um, and still single, it's okay, Mom. He has eight girlfriends. You know, with that one time I saw him in the middle of the desert in the middle of the night. But anyway, um, he has, you know, had 50 fights and he's had 50 wins. Mm-hmm. You feel me? So, like, Tyson, I think he had two, what, two losses? Or maybe, like, three? Mm-hmm. But definitely no more than six. But I'm like, Floyd has a 50-50 record. It also says that that um, Floyd was talking crap about, you know, these amateur fights. And he said, and he was slamming YouTubers for their kid games of trying to get in the ring. Um, and it's just interesting that he would even, I don't even know what the purpose is. It, it's, I think it's all for money, honestly. I think, which is, you know, use your platform and make money. I mean, that's what we all do, essentially. Um, you know. So it's interesting because it's like what you're saying. We have Floyd Mayweather here who's like, who sits on like money as a chair every day and, and like travels around with 10 Rolls Royces every day because of his accomplishments. And um, Logan is just getting started. So I don't really know what 
the purpose is. I think it's going to be another, it, I think the event with Mike and, um, and um, Vaughn Jones, even though it's not his name, did so well that they're probably like, oh, let's keep doing this. Let's do another little mini concert, make some money, get more artists to come in, and it will just be something else for people to watch during quarantine. So the thing is, is that, I, you know, again, it's like Mayweather's, you know, like 43. Mm-hmm. And he's like 145, 50 pounds. He's like super tiny. Um, I think he's like 5'6". And Logan Paul is like 6'2". He's like, you know, like, I don't know, probably close to 200 pounds. Um, so this is going to be, he's 23. Yeah. Um, it's like, you know, I'm not, I, you know, but I do agree. A lot of this is for money. I mean, but it's like, everything is for money. You know what I mean? That's how. Yeah. But for me too, it's like Floyd being like such the pronoun person that he is to take, to do something like this kind of makes me laugh. Cause I'm like, that's like. I don't know. Is it supposed to be for fun? Like, you know, I would kind of just, I would take it so seriously that I wouldn't even do something like that. Cause I would be like, well, it's a joke. Like that's how I, that's how I look at it. But it's like, people are still going to pay to watch this fight because it's Floyd. Well, the thing is like, he has to be careful because what if he loses? (laughs) Right. Like, uh, do you want to sacrifice your loss on this YouTuber? You know, I just, I, for me, when, when it comes to your craft and when it comes to your passion, there's, there's no really, there's no room to play any games. That's, that's how I feel. I would see it if he was taking on like someone else who's retired, like, um, what's his name on the Golden Gloves, man? Oh, um, yeah. But I think that's a different, no, I don't think it's a different weight class. Um, Oscar De La Hoya. Yeah. Oscar De La Hoya. Like, um, I would. Like, I would see something like, like, okay, let's continue to do the OG um, exhibitions with, you know, people who are also retired and then, you know, doing like, it would be, and then Logan could have still been a part of that fight, but just fought someone else type of thing. Right. Like, it's funny so, that they're doing it like this. So, um, Oscar De La Hoya, that would have been good, but, you know, his condition, you know, his, you know, his body, but he's 47. Mm-hmm. and. The only reason why I say that is because I know like Mayweather is a, a proponent of like, you know, living like a very, um, a life that promotes um, health. You know what I mean? And he is serious about, like he doesn't drink or he doesn't, you know, obviously use drugs, but I know um, De La Hoyas has, you know, a lot of long, a long history, a long struggle um, with addiction. And so I think that even though Tyson did too, I think that maybe committing to him, com- he, you know, committing to a fight um, and essentially you would have to train for like a year, like Tyson did, that may not be possible for him, but that would be a really good rematch because they were in the same weight class. And I think as a matter of fact, Floyd took the belt from De La Hoya. Um, but speaking of like the old school fights and stuff, also now they were saying that, Tyson and Holyfield are going to fight. So that is like a huge thing because if everybody can remember, um, Holyfield, um, 
was he was um, violated. He was assaulted by Tyson in the last fight and like Tyson bit his ear. So it's like to come together and to see that fight, um, you know, just just the two of them coming together and the two of them kind of bearing that hatch, even though like they are they are friends and like they addressed that a long time ago. Um, I think that it would be like good for Tyson to have to like kind of unmuddy his reputation on that level. Like that was such a huge thing. Like the, I don't know if if you guys remember, but um, I think that fight was in like 2013 or 2012. And Tyson was like totally out of his mind and he bit um, Holyfield's ear twice. And so they had to like stop the fight and it was inconclusive. And I think after that Tyson retired and I respected what he said about retiring. He was just like, you know, like the the sport now shouldn't be disrespected and it should be for people that are like really serious and fighters. And I'm not in that space anymore. And so I think that for him to come back to the sport um, serious and clear, I think it would be a great thing to see. Um, And definitely like a lot of these fights are just happening because of the pandemic. It's like, or all of these like sporting things that we're seeing or all of these exhibition, um, I guess, fights. It's like, it's, it's another form of entertainment. And I think the last fight was very well done. I feel like, um, you know, a lot of people were truly mesmerized and truly engulfed into what um, into what the fight was and the way that it was presented. And we love the entertainment. That was dope. And I think that having something like that more to come during this crazy, crazy time, <laughs> I think is dope. I think it's great. And unfortunately, I think for Mayweather though and Logan Paul, that fight's not going to be too fe- until February. And hopefully Tyson doesn't have to train as long as he did to prepare for this fight. And so it will be sooner than later, I'm thinking. Yeah, because I think he trained for like a year. And I don't know if he was like drug free because he has his whole Tyson ranch thing um, and his cannabis therapy and that type of thing. But I think it would be super cool to see you know, even during like within the next couple of months, he's already ready. He's right here um, to have them fight. So, well, lots to cover on this boxing trend. Um, but before we get back into that, thank you for tuning in to the MD show. We are practicing safe distancing from two separate locations, and we hope everyone is staying safe out there. Make sure to follow Dash Radio and the MD show today. Super interesting how veterans are coming together um, during this time to mash it out in these exhibition games. Because not only is it entertainment for them, it's entertainment for us. And I think that it brings like a good brotherhood um, back to um, the game of boxing and kind of represents good sportsmanship. And even like how uh, Tyson reacted in his last fight with um, Roy Jones junior um he just was super positive and excited you could just tell they had such good adrenaline and it brought back so many memories 
So it's interesting how now it's going to be a Vander and Mike, that's going to be huge. Yeah. Like, no, it was like, it brought back excitement to the sport. You know what I mean? Because you haven't had like Tyson and Mayweather too, but Tyson was like the origin. Well, we'd actually have to talk about Muhammad Ali, but I wasn't around when he was fighting. So who I knew, like my boxer was Tyson. You know what I mean? So he was like, you know, energized and energetic. And he did change the sport of boxing as far as it became like glamorous. And, you know, you would start seeing like um, a lifestyle behind it. And just like um, you would start seeing um, a celebrity pull to, you know, so like, you know, it was like fights were super exciting because, you know, they would like, like you would see like, you know, who's, who, who attended, who's in the crowd. And then they started making it like, you know, really um, fun and competitive with, with artists because like each boxer would choose an artist that they could, you know, that would bring them out. And it was like, you know, so it was like, as you saw, cause you and I watched the last fight together. I was like up on the couch, jumping and screaming like Jasmine, you know, cause that's what, it, that's what it's supposed to do. And so I think that um, you're touching back on those that came before you, but also lending and leading the path, which I think is good. I think that's like a great, uh, bridge that they're, that they're giving, like, you know, like Tyson, um, and Von Jones and your, that's how, that's what you call them. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I like that they touched back on those greats that oh, made yeah. even down to the announcer that you love mom. What's his name? Oh, Sugar Ray? <laughs> no, the announcer, like the the um, oh, Michael Buffer. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that's it's just like it's like a blast from the past, I'm sure, for those people who grew up watching Mike Tyson and Roy Jones. For me, Floyd is like that's like the new age boxer for my generation. And it's interesting how he's kind of taken that flashiness to the next level. Um, and how he's gotten um, you know, Justin Bieber is his guy that's been his guy to bring him out. And he's just, even like him living in LA or when, when he's in LA, when he pulls it, when he would pull up at the mall, it was like 12 cars deep with like, he, and he had an entourage of like 50 people, like for what, (laughs) you know, it's like the ultimate celebrity. And it's like all the cars he had, had his logo on the side. You just knew where Floyd was during normal times when it was just like, we, you know, life was moving and people would chop and he would just show up and all these people. And it was just like, Oh my gosh, there's Floyd. How can we not know? So it's interesting how the game of boxing is coming back to a trend, but I definitely like what my mom did. And I like that's different from like normal times is that all the performances that they're having before and in between each fight. I think that's good also for like the industry to just give artists like an opportunity to perform, but still be safe. And still promote, you know, their brand in some way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And so, yeah, so um, now they're saying that Evander Holyfield and Mike Tyson, that the fight will happen. And I mean, um, Holyfield, he's he's 58 now and Tyson's like 53. And I so yeah, I'm not sure. Eight and 54. Oh, 54. So and then like. Since Tyson, I think I was saying this earlier, he's already like there as far as in shape and training. Um, 
So I like, I guess they would have to wait like another amount of time because Holyfield would have to like get in shape. You know what I mean? So it probably will be. Mm -hmm. It also says that um, Tyson had revealed that his team had been in touch with the Holyfield camp, but they weren't able to make an even deal. But that means the money wasn't right. Right. He's like, I need millions. Evander says that there's been movement and it's heading in the right direction, which means they're crunching the numbers and the money's coming in. <laughs> they're crunching the numbers. Well, I, wonder, I wonder too how these old school boxers feel about like the new age boxers. Because to me, I was talking to my manager earlier today and she was like, I just can't believe Floyd is fighting Jake Paul. Like it doesn't even make sense. And I was like, I know. <laughs> but I think too, because of the times and, you know, people just trying to find new ways to make money. I mean, everything has been innovative during this time. I mean, from businesses to entertainment, even um, award shows are all music videos nowadays. Like when you, they air it, it's like they're showing music videos that were pre-recorded. So, I mean, props to those um, people who are still trying to make a living doing what they, what they do during this time. But it is kind of funny that it's Floyd versus Logan. It doesn't really make sense. I would be afraid to be in the ring with him if I wasn't an actual trained boxer. I should be there. <laughs> right? Excited. Are you excited about our next topic? Yeah. So moving on, um, and I have some some great uh, um, facts to share about this topic. But um, so moving on, um, Jasmine actually... This is like really, this is a great show because these topics, like she came to me with them. And so it's like, she's um, just so proud of her. <laughs> so so um, yeah. So the next topic is um, that there was, um, I guess we would say white, a white Caucasian is attending an HBCU. And so the topic is, how do we feel about Caucasians attending HBCUs? Um, um, so to so, give some, go ahead. Sorry, Ma. So just to give some background, um, her, her name is Camilla Rose. She announced on Instagram that she was transferring to Spelman College, which is the number one HBCU in the world, if people didn't know, which is an all-girls college. So just to let everyone know, too, that um, top five HBCUs currently, number five is Xavier University of Louisiana. Number four is FAMU. Number three is uh, Morehouse. Number two is Howard University. And number one is Spelman. And Spelman has been number one for the last 10 years. Wow. But shout out to my alumni, Xavier University of Louisiana. Located <laughs> in New Orleans, Louisiana. Thank yeah. you. Yes. Um, shout out to Xavier University of Louisiana. Um, so she announced that she was transferring to Spelman College. Um, and, you know, and it had been her dream. And that, you know, she wanted to. Sorry, hold on, Kia. Pause, Q. Pause. Hold on. I can't read this. I got it. I can take it from here. Okay. Um, I'm gonna so 
So HBCUs um, are um, historically black, historical black colleges and universities. And there are currently 101 HBCUs. Um, and so these, H it's important to know that HBCUs were established mm -hmm. prior to the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and so established to provide um, minor minorities, specifically freed slaves, the opportunity to have um, higher learning education experience. And because um, this was because um, basically um, universities and colleges that were already established would not accept um, black students. Mm -hmm. and so um, that's, that's basically what it was for. Mm -hmm. And, um, but then I guess, even like when I went to Xavier, there were a lot of students from the Pacific Island or, um, or Asian students. And they, they, they would then be minorities. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, but, you know, so then, but then there's, I, I think there's like, um, like a question of, is mm -hmm. this, is this reverse discrimination? Because, because, um, because what if someone from, um, an all white institution said that, um, that that's why the institutions were established to, to, to preserve, like I was reading, you know, about, I was reading an article and one, um, student was saying that, you know, that they feel that basically these universities were also set up to preserve and to celebrate our cultures and to, um, basically feel as, as, as one, but somebody that's Caucasian could also say the same thing. Like, well, I, you know, like UCLA was established because, or by white forefounders. So what if those students said, you know, once minorities started coming in or whatever, that they felt away because they were trying to preserve, um, you know, uh, the culture of their whiteness. Right. Well, see, and that's, that's the, one of the main reasons why I looked into this because it goes both ways. The only difference is HBCUs were originally, like my mom said, designed and created to allow black and African-American people to have an education and higher and higher education, you know? And I think what made people upset about this particular person is she made it about the school being black and how excited she was because she, it's the home of the black, it's the home of the black girl magic. And it's, the, you know, just of this black culture and that she's going to use her white privilege to make a difference. And so I think it's like how she worded it and how it came about was kind of iffy. And, and a lot of people, you know, didn't accept that. Um, but it's interesting because I think it does go both ways, but I think that for us, it probably happened before 2020. You know, I'm sure when people first started coming, it was different. Yeah. So I actually feel, um, I'm, you know, like this is like, I'm kind of like in the middle of this because I feel like the reason why our universities um, and colleges were formed is to 
um, is, is, is so that we could have the same level of opportunity and the same level of education. Um, basically because, you know, um, we, again, we were in a, in a position where we could not receive, um, that experience just based on discrimination. Um, so how do we, you know what I mean? It's like, I don't feel that, again, I don't feel like any HBC user saying, no, you cannot attend here because I was- She wouldn't have been accepted. I was listening to some um, some some students, like for example, there's um, a Caucasian young man, he goes to Morehouse. And he was saying that for him, um, he's actually a beautiful young man too, but like inside and out, you know what I mean? But he was just saying that he grew up in a black community and then he, I guess, like basically most of his life, um, an affluent black community. And then I guess like for high school, he went to like an all white high school and he felt uncomfortable. And so he wanted to just, you know, he made it a point that he wanted to attend Morehouse and that like his peers in high school, his white counterparts, like they didn't really comment like on what his choice was, or they were just kind of like downing him or making fun of him. But he felt like he wanted to do this because, and his parents were supportive, but he wanted to um, achieve um, his education from an HBCU, but also he wanted to learn more about the African-American culture and learn more about our struggles. And he also touched on the fact that because he attends the university, he's really like aware of like everything that, um, you know, that we have gone through and that, and basically how shady the government is you know? And so now he's like majoring in like political science. And so he's, you know, going to be a civil rights attorney because he wants to do something about changing the law, you know? Um, and he actually like ran for president and student body and he won. And so, you know, he's, he's like, I don't, he said, it's, it's, he said, it's very, um, comforting to know that like when I'm, when I'm at this school, that people that have been discriminated against and, you know, plotted against and, you know, just so forth and so on um, because of our history, that they are the same, that they are the very people that embrace him and treat him like a brother. You know what I mean? And he doesn't, he doesn't even have that with like his, like when he goes back home, it's like his friends don't talk to him anymore, you know? So um, he did say it was a culture shock. Um, but he just really wanted for also going through his life to be able to educate those that he would, you know, encounter through his life experiences about what he had, you know, about his experience going to an HBCU. No, and I think that's beautiful. I think it's, it's, it's beautiful that he's expressing the movement that he's, that he experience from going to a, um, an HBCU. Some of the responses from her particular post, people were saying that they felt like, you know, because she has money and because she comes from money, it makes them upset that other Black women who were accepted can't go and that she's filling a spot for them. You know, someone also said, um, 
that there's definitely people who go to Spelman say there's nothing, you know, wrong with her being Caucasian. It's, it's how she posted, you know, I finally get to transfer to the number one HBCTU, the home of black girl magic, how she labeled it that way. And what that had to do with you're accepted. You should want to go to the number one HBCU in the world because it's the number one HBCU in the world. And it's an all girls school. It's really cool. They share a campus with Clark and Morehouse. So you kind of have this camaraderie um, with other colleges as well, even though it is an all girls institution. I visited um, during my college visits and it was a really great experience. I went during homecoming and you got to see the three campuses that share the same, you know, land and how all they all interact with each other. And there is um, Asians. There's there's other Caucasians that go there. And I think people were just offended by how she had to point out Black Girl Magic, the home of Black Girl Magic. Because, I mean, the home of Black Girl Magic for us Black women is all within us. It's not, there's not one place that's like, oh, this is Black Girl Magic. That's just kind of how I think I perceive it. Um, and Rachel Doe is all. Mm-hmm. And it's like, even as African-American women, we never talk about, oh, the home of Black Girl Magic is, that's not even a thing that people say. A home of Black Girl Magic is Howard. The home of Black Girl Magic is Xavier. The home of, you know, we just, it, it's, it's, it's what, it's us. It's within us. That's the home of Black Girl Magic. So it, it, I think people were offended by. Well, even though Xavier probably is the home of Black Girl Magic. It's okay, Mom. It's okay, Mom. So I don't know. I think I think it's obviously acceptable. I mean, I'm not saying that you know it's not a diverse place because it is what you're saying. It that would then be reverse racism, just because you know the HBCUs started that way, where it, but it was for our 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 ben- benefit of you know African Americans deserve to have higher education too, you know, um, which is interesting to just the world in general now, how a lot of people cringe when black people are in power. So it's like you even tried to prevent us then from being smarter and, and, and growing our education, you know, and then that's what this was created for. But then I think that, you know, we also moved with the times. It wasn't just about, oh, we're just always going to only accept black people. You have to be black to go here, you know? And I think that that's the, that, you know, her experience, I hope she stays safe out there <laughs> when she well, goes. The same person I was listening to, but there was somebody that, you know, another interview came up and it was like this girl and she was like, basically saying that, I mean, it was like, she just wanted to be black, you know, and yeah. so she wanted to go there and, you know, um, mm-hmm. but also talking to like some of the faculty and they were, you know, some of the faculty who had been there for so long and, you know, um, some of the professors, they mentioned that um, these universities also provided a safe space for us, um, which we know is true. Because again, um, like I think, um, like Hampton was founded like in 1860, you know, eight. Well, that I mean, that's like four years after you know um, s- slavery was abolished. So, mm-hmm. you know, you're talking about really coming out of slavery, mm-hmm. and um, and so I'm saying that to say that like some of these universities date back 
to that time period. So it really was a place where not only you were being educated, but you felt safe. Because again, just because slavery ended doesn't mean that you could not have been murdered, that you could not have been killed, that your house couldn't have been burned down, that you were, you know what I mean, constantly harassed and afraid and, um, you know, attacked and and your children. And, you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, little, little girls and little boys going to school and their white counterparts spitting on them or abusing them or beating them with books, you know, things like that, real things. And so, um, I think that, you know, again, this particular professor and some of his, um, and some of his counterparts, that's, that's what their focus was. Like, it's not that we're against integration. It's that, this is what the purpose is. And they teach you all of that um, during your orientation. I mean, it's just really, really important to emphasize that. And, you know, I don't really know of any other university. I mean, you can speak to this because you did not attend an HBCU. Like, they never talked to you about the history of the campus, did they? Yeah, like, it was just... No, you. I mean... You, I mean there's information about that, like at the student union, like if you want to like go into the student union and I'm sure they have like plaques of those type of things, but it was never like a big deal, you know, um, to discuss. Um, but I think you you touched on something that's important. It's that like, I know all HBCUs cover African-American history as well as Western history, but like, it's not like that the other way around. You know, um, and I know it's different for college. Like, I'm sure there's most colleges have those classes, but it's like a specific class that you have to sign up for to learn about. But I think that it is good for people to want to educate themselves. But that doesn't mean that they have to necessarily like go to HBCU. You can educate yourself by researching and 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 being a part of the black culture that way. I mean, you know, and watching documentaries and, you know, reading books and there's so many different memoirs and informative um, texts that are, that can teach you about black culture. And, and I know a lot of people are uneducated about it. Um, So it's interesting just in general, how it's even a discussion, because I do feel like it is a little, it's a, it's an attack, but I think that what people need to do is be careful about the, the words that they use and not promote it in a way of like, Oh, I'm excited. I got accepted to a black college because I, because it's the home of the black girl magic and it's been my dream. And she, and she mentioned also how her African-American friend at a bonfire had told her that that's where she thinks that she needs to go. And it changed her life. Like, and it, because he was black, I, I, I don't really know like what the meaning of that was, but it, I think that people took it as, then she had a response to everyone's backlash about how, you know, mental health and racism go hand in hand. It just, it just went, it, it just went on and on and on. So I think it's good to touch bases with that and understand like, I mean, just like she may feel uncomfortable, we also, you know, I can say that I felt uncomfortable going to a predominantly white school. Really? Yeah. Like, so it's like, I, you know, I, I, I feel for that part of it, but then you also are wanting to put yourself in that predicament. So you have to like, 
But for me, I didn't think about it. And I know I would come home and I would see you some days and I'd be like, I don't understand like why I'm different or why they treat me different or why. And then the older I got, it was like, I understood, okay, my hair was curly and poofy and like they didn't, couldn't relate to that. They couldn't relate to, you know, the color of my skin and it, and it made, and it put me into a category and everything and how I was. I also, I also think that's because you were raised um, in an, an environment that was primarily white, just like I was. So it was like me, you know, like I gave you the exposure early, mm-hmm. you know, to integrate into the world. Yeah. The people in Oregon probably didn't do that. You see what I mean? Yeah, so there's so many. Like, yeah, it's like the opposite. And I was also very, and I still am, um, a huge proponent of um, cultural, you know, variants. And you know what I mean. And um, and so I, I don't like like I I would not want to live in a neighborhood that was just all one race. You know what I mean? Or or all one culture or all one religion. I I believe in you know mixing it up. So I think that um, that that was probably why for you it wasn't a big deal because you were like I'm used to this. I can you know what I mean? I I, I know how to navigate, and I know who I am, and I know. I'm equivalent, if not better than. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that I I didn't, I had to really come to terms with that. I think it set more in, in college than it did when I was younger. I just, it was just like, kind of like bullying. It wasn't like, you know, I mean, that's, that's a serious topic, but it was more so I was always treated less than. And then when I got to college, when I'm coming into my womanhood, it was more like, okay, now it's in my face. And now I see that not only are people, it's not, it's less racist and more uneducated and not understanding the things that they're saying and the things that they're asking me are inappropriate. Mm-hmm. I remember one, one, I brought this up on the show, I think before, but it was like, oh, I've never had catfish and you don't like salmon. So it's like catfish for black people and salmon's for white people. Like mm-hmm. that was the question that was asked. And it's like, why would you ever ask me like that? <laughs> like it's food. We're talking this that that's food. That was like a very interesting thing to say to someone. Um, and I was just like, don't say that to people. Like you could just tell it's like an uneducated mind and not being exposed to culture. You know what I'm saying? So I think it is important for people, you know, to be to to educate themselves. And and especially all the things that have happened during the pandemic with with um with you know the police brutality and and the mistreatment that arose um again and throughout the years um people need to educate themselves and understand um the hardships that African Americans have experienced for a very very long time a lifetime so yeah Real serious stuff, you guys. Real serious stuff. Um, we should make another episode about discrimination, um, but it never ends. You always feel almost like, you know, you have a target over your head or something like that. Um, and unfortunately, this is where we still are in um, in 2020. Um, but thank you to uh, 
all of those who nominated us for the podcast of the year, don't forget to rate and comment on um, all podcast pa- platforms, Anchor FM, Spotify, Apple Podcast. I am Bianca Banks. You can find me on all social platforms at It's Bianca Banks. And don't forget to follow the MND show. And you can follow me at Jazz Nation. And we hope everyone has an amazing Tuesday. Thanks. For yes, listening. and have a great week. Thanks for listening. It's been a pleasure.
Spread! 